time to play ball. Welcome to the podcast with no limits. Whether it be sports, current events, or random thoughts, this is the place to step in and stay a while. Your host is a proud alumnus of Rio Hondo Prep, a former minor league baseball umpire, and a man with strong opinions. Welcome to the Get Home Safe podcast and your host, Matt Persima. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Get Home Safe. It is Friday, August 7th, 2020. Thank you for joining us. Looking forward to another fun show today as we wrap up our week of interviews, our week of episodes here on the Get Home Safe podcast. It's been a lot of fun, as I say every week, but it really has been. I can honestly say that. We, we've had some great interviews with some great guests and looking forward to more guests and more fun next week. Already in the works about some interviews we have lined up. Uh, for those of you I've reached out to, I do want to say, guys, there's nothing to be nervous about. Let me tell you, everyone I reach out to is like, oh, I don't think I'd be that interesting. I don't think I would, uh, what, how I would do. I don't do well with the, I don't know, stage, whatever the case is. Like, guys, if I can do this, you can do this. Let me tell you, come on. Uh, it's not that difficult. It's Right now, I'm, I'm talking to a microphone by myself. Uh, and when I interview you, it's just me in front of a microphone talking to you. Like, it's just you and I having a conversation. Yeah, some people are going to hear it, but our stuff's not recorded live. It's not, you know, you're not going to be put on the spot. We can edit things out. And anyway, those are my two cents for those who I've asked to come on the program and are a little hesitant. Come on. If we, we are slowly approaching uh, our 100th episode here, we've had a lot of guests come on and uh, I can honestly say most of them, when they come on, they say, man, that flowed. Okay. That went pretty good. And, and I, and I know that to be the case because I've seen it and done it many times. So Anyway, looking forward to having more of you guys on here. I know the listenership uh, has increased, which is great. And, and I do want to say that today, guys, is our 99th show. Yeah, I, I have. It's hard to believe that, that that's the case. So Monday, we will be celebrating our 100th episode. Time has flown by. I cannot believe that, uh, again, this all started with me just talking for 20 minutes or 30 minutes into my phone by myself, just rambling away, almost like a, as a di- di- diary or a journal type of thing. And here we are, uh, you know, months later, having many guests on, having an episode five days a week, Monday through Friday. We have a weekly guest in Bill Barnes. We have uh, a Friday segment that we call Suds with Studs. We got all kinds of things that have grown uh, with us here during this podcast. And, and just, it's been so much fun. I can't tell you enough. And everyone I talk to, uh, usually before we get going on the air, we, we, we catch up a little bit and kind of get, get ourselves on the same page before we start recording our interview. And, and th- that's some of my, uh, my most fun parts of doing this is just that initial catch up and kind of when it's all new and you start talking to someone they haven't talked to in a long time. So it's more of the same here on the Get Home Safe podcast. I say a lot of the same things. I know you guys who are loyal listeners, you hear a lot of the same phrases. You hear a lot of my same stories and just kind of my overall enthusiasm, my gratitude for you guys. But it's very sincere, man. For the bottom of my heart, I really do appreciate all of you. And and I'm looking forward to talking to more of you as this 
podcast progresses onward. Well, it's Friday, guys, and you know that that means our Friday segment we've been doing for about two months now is Suds with Studs. Today is our eighth installment where we're going to talk about an American hero, a a patriot, if you will, somebody who is, uh, well, everyone so far has been in the military, but we're looking for some stories maybe about law enforcement or other heroic acts, really, that have uh, different people have experienced or, or done, uh, gone through, I guess you'd say, uh, in, in the, uh, in their walk or their, um, whatever their occupation is. But uh, our focus kind of has been a lot of military, uh, started out with a few medal of honor winners and, uh, we're, we're researching, uh, every week to kind of come up with something new, some, uh, some more people we can talk about. If you have any suggestions, as always, I, I really welcome you to reach out to us and to let us know, Hey, this would be a good story for your Friday segment. Uh, that you could talk about a hero or just something I'm not thinking of because I can't think of all of it. Trust me. I ramble away here. I just want to uh, try to honor someone on Fridays. And uh, typically uh, it's what comes to mind is someone in the military or different, you know, uh, military stories, but I've definitely because of today's age, we're into looking, looking at some uh, law enforcement and really honoring those people who, uh, who, who wear the badge and are kind of uh, under attack these days, unfortunately. So that's kind of what we're doing with our Suds with Studs segment on Fridays. If you have any suggestions, let me know. And uh, again, Suds with Studs is in reference to uh, these are people that I would love to sit down and have a beer with. And I would absolutely be buying not only the first round, but all the rounds. So that is uh, what we've been doing on Fridays the past few weeks, almost two months now with our eighth installment today. I do want to also talk about our interview today that is with Dr. John Collins. That's right. We have a doctor on the show today. Uh, John is working in uh, med- uh, excuse me, emergency room work, finishing up kind of his process and all the things he's got to do to officially uh, finish up. Uh, with all of his training and everything, but he is currently in Detroit, Michigan, working uh, basically emergency room operations and then, you know, seeing a lot of crazy things and a lot of different uh, unfortunate injuries and uh, accidents and all kinds of things. But what was interesting in talking to John was that kind of the motivation for becoming a doctor was not exactly what I thought it would have been. It, it had a lot to do with kind of this competitiveness that was inside him as is as in so many of us uh after we're done playing ball that's kind of like well what do you do with this competitive nature we have well john took that and he fueled it into pursuing uh, becoming a doctor and he talked about he talks about i should say how you know even though you're you're put in some really tough spots you know where it is literally life and death people sometimes don't survive uh, he embraces the challenge and it, it's not anything he takes lightly. He doesn't look at it as a, as a game by any means, but he looks at things like uh, a challenge and an opportunity really to be there for someone and save somebody. And uh, it's just, it was very inspiring to chat with him. So I, I really am looking forward to you guys hearing this episode here uh, with Dr. John Collins as, as he talks about his journey uh, through med, med school and, uh, you know, some things on the horizon for him. So uh, definitely uh, someone I wanted to put on Friday uh, along with our Suds with Studs segment because I think uh, it's a good way. Uh, a good way to take us into the weekend, get us around third and home safe for the weekend. Uh, John, uh, Dr. John, I, I got to make sure to give him that respect and honor. Dr. John Collins here. Um, 
is going to be a, a, definitely a treat to listen to. Uh, he actually went to Rio Hondo Prep. Yes, of course, Rio Hondo Prep, a class of uh, 2006. He was on in my brother's class, Sam Hersema. He was on the uh, first ever uh, 2005 uh, football championship team at Rio Hondo Prep, uh, 11, 11 man football, that is. And I know I've brought a lot of guys on from that team already, talking to my brother, of course, multiple times, uh, Will Tarico, uh, talking to Major Bill Lee, who was a coach on that team. Uh, it's just, I don't know, it's just kind of worked out that way. It was a special team, a special group of guys. And you can see, obviously, uh, in some of the guys we've talked to on this program uh, that they've gone on and, and done some great things. And there's uh, no exception to that today as Dr. John Collins is on the program. And I really uh, want to say thank you to him for not only what he does, but for taking the time out of his very busy schedule to sit down and uh, you know do an interview with us a few days ago. It was really great catching up with him and hearing his perspective on not only what's going on today, but uh, just kind of his attitude that he carries with him every day when he uh, is working with people and uh, doing uh, doing great work to uh, to to save people and to really uh, make lives better. So we won't waste too much more time. We do have our suds with studs segment, and then we will go straight from that into our interview with Dr. John Collins. So sit back, guys. It's going to be a nice, fun Friday show. Uh, I think you'll like the suds with studs segment. And again, with, with that segment, I kind of just generalize. I give you a name. I kind of give you a brief summary, but I encourage guys to go in and research about some of these people that I talk about. Um, I, I think uh, it would definitely make your day better, make your life better by kind of pursuing uh, up on some of these stories of these people that we discuss on Fridays. So that's just my challenge to you guys. If you have if you have some time or looking for something to look up or anything, uh, these are people that I'd like like uh, you guys to to check out, and that's why we talk about them every Friday on Suds with Studs. So we will take a quick break, then go into our Suds with Studs segment, and then follow that up with our interview with Doctor John Collins. Okay, it's Friday, and on Fridays, we have been doing a weekly segment called Suds with Studs. This segment is to pay tribute to American heroes, American patriots, people that have done amazing things, either Medal of Honor winners or or people who have displayed tremendous acts of valor uh, on the battlefield or law enforcement, just all kinds of people that uh, really their bravery is... Uh, something that is to be noted and something that is to be honored. And so we tried to come up with this segment and and do this for a few weeks now uh, to pay tribute to those people. And it's called Suds with Studs because these are people that if it were possible, we would love to sit down and have a beer with. And we would absolutely be buying not only the first round, but all the rounds. So uh, most of these people we discuss on here are people that have passed away either as a result of their bravery and their actions in combat or some people uh, that we discuss are are from a long time ago and have passed away uh, just uh, you know from old age and uh, you know old age gets all of us one day but uh, these are the people that I I definitely thought we'd start mentioning on Fridays and I'm really happy with the way some of these have come out I don't get all the information you know as far as all the details of everything, but they're definitely names and kind of brief summaries, if you will, uh, of the people and also their actions. Some of the people we've discussed in recent weeks, we talked about Pat Tillman. I think most people know his name. 
you know his story as someone who left the NFL to join the uh, the Army after September 11th. Uh, We've also discussed Navy SEAL Robert O'Neill, who's actually the man that pulled the trigger that killed Osama bin Laden. That was uh, that was a fun time talking about uh, his actions. We've also discussed another Navy SEAL and Mike Murphy, who's a Medal of Honor winner. Uh, there's been a few other Medal of Honor winners we've had and discussed here the past seven weeks. This will be our eighth installment of Suds with Studs. And today we're going to be talking about Chris Kyle. For those that don't know, Chris Kyle is known as the American Sniper. Uh, he was uh, the, the he wrote an autobiography after he was uh, honorably discharged from the United States Navy. The book was called American Sniper. It was written in 2012. Later, there was a movie directed by Clint Eastwood uh, in 2014 uh, of the same title, and the actor in the movie was portrayed or was. Uh, was Bradley Cooper, and he portrayed Chris Kyle as the American sniper, and just a, a tremendous job by Bradley Cooper, I'll say. Uh, he was uh, just fantastic in the movie. Uh, the movie itself was actually nominated for a Best Picture. Uh, Clint Eastwood uh, really did a good job in honoring this hero uh, in Chris Kyle, and Bradley Cooper just just was phenomenal as uh, as the actor. So if you haven't seen the movie or read the book, I encourage you to do one or the other or both. Uh, really, really good stuff. The book was actually uh, a bestseller from the New York Times. Uh, I believe it was. Let's see here, thirty-seven weeks uh, in a row uh, where it was uh, it was up there atop. The, uh, the best-selling list and, and the movie, as I already mentioned, was just was just awesome. So if you haven't seen it, go check it out. Um, really good stuff. Uh, talking about really uh, one of the most decorated warriors we've ever seen in the United States. Uh, Chris Kyle was probably the most lethal, most deadliest uh, sniper in U.S. military history. Uh, there've been uh, you know different reports as to how many kills that you, he actually had. Uh, but I don't want to go into too many of the details about some of the, we'll say, controversies or alleged fabrications that have kind of gone on. I, I don't think that pays tribute to who the man was and the amazing things that he did. Uh, he saved a lot of lives. He had four different deployments to Iraq. He saved a lot of Marines as they were kind of going door to door in a lot of the buildings uh, in Iraq. And Chris Kyle, he wasn't just this guy who was sitting back, you know, miles away, away from the action, never in harm's way. Uh, he actually was shot twice during his deployments, and he also uh, survived six separate IED detonations as well. So a guy that definitely uh, was fortunate to uh, walk away from his service. And what's interesting is the Iraqi insurgents, they were so threatened by Chris Kyle um, and, and really wanted to get him. He was a target um, for a lot of different reasons, but they even put out a bounty on Chris Kyle that started at $20,000 and went as high as $80,000. So it, it continued to increase as the insurgents got more and more frustrated with this guy who was taking them out as they were trying to, to kill American soldiers. And, uh, you know, Chris Kyle... Uh, I mean, what can you say about him? Just, uh, just a hero. I, I can't say it enough. The the insurgents they gave him the nickname the Devil of Ramadi uh, because uh, they feared him so much. Uh, there have been reports that you know uh, Chris Kyle had a, had a shot, has uh, executed shots for as far as uh, two thousand yards away. 
I mean, you guys got to see the movie or read the book to really get all the details. I don't want to uh, really ruin anything for you as far as his story and everything. Uh, but I do want to talk about a few things. Uh, like I said, very decorated individual. He received the Silver Star, which is the third highest honor in uh, the U.S. military for uh, valor in combat. He has four Bronze Stars as well and a Navy and a Marine Corps Achievement Medal and multiple uh, other uh, personal awards that he achieved uh, for his service. Um, Chris Kyle joined the Navy SEALs in 1999. He graduated in 2001 and shortly after that is when September 11th happened. Uh, So it was within a year and a half of that that he and his fellow SEALs uh, the Marines, uh, all the U.S. military personnel, where they deployed to Iraq for the initial invasion in 2013, or excuse me, 2003, I should say. Uh, he was there for four different uh, deployments and, and just uh, tr- tremendous, tremendous uh, military career. I can't say enough about it. Um, Chris Kyle was married to Taya Kyle, and uh, Taya actually uh, was portrayed in the movie very well as well also um, it really showed that relationship between husband and wife and kind of going through these deployments together Chris Kyle in the movie you know really uh, showing how hard it was to carry the burden of not only losing fellow soldiers but just uh, always being kind of in harm's way having to pull the trigger sometimes in situations that uh, no one uh would think you'd have to uh we'll say you know having to um, kill some people that uh were a threat to u.s military personnel just all kinds of things that he went through during those four different deployments and uh, in 2009 uh chris kyle was honorably discharged from the united states navy and it was in 2012 where the book was written uh, in 2014, there was a, a the, the like I said, the book, the movie was made uh, regarding Chris Kyle and the American Sniper. However, in 2013, um, Chris Kyle, unfortunately, after surviving four different deployments, after surviving having a bounty on his head and just being the, the number one target, really, for the insurgents in Iraq for many years, uh, Kyle was unfortunately murdered by a... Um, a former Marine, Eddie Ray Ralph, as uh, Chris Kyle and his good friend, um, what was his name here? I'm sorry, Chad Littlefield. Uh, they were both uh, basically taking uh, this individual uh, to a gun range uh, to just kind of get his mind out of things and help him, uh, help uh, Ralph, was his name, help him kind of get through the transition going from his military service to uh, civilian life. And like so many people who have fought and been in combat, especially in the recent years, you know, there is a post-traumatic stress disorder that, that uh, unfortunately a lot of them bring home with them. And uh, it was uh, Chris Kyle and his friend, Chad Littlefield, who were shot and killed by Eddie Ray Ralph at Rough Creek Ranch Lodge Resort Shooting Range uh, in Texas in 2013, February 2nd. Uh, both Kyle and Littlefield were armed as uh, you know they were out there they're shooting. 
but unfortunately it was Ralph who, who turned on them and killed both of them. Uh, Ralph was uh, apparently uh, diagnosed before with schizophrenia. He had PTSD. His family kind of knew uh, he, he was really in bad shape. And it was Chris Kyle and Chad Littlefield who were attempting to kind of be there for this guy, be there for fellow uh, veterans as they transitioned into civilian life. And it's just so unfortunate that uh, Chris Kyle was killed that day alongside his friend, Chad Littlefield. Uh, I saw the movie uh, American Sniper when it came out, and I knew that Chris Kyle had died and how he had died, that he was shot, um, you know, after years of being in combat and uh, being the number one target of the enemy and he's then shot and killed by someone who was in the military for the United States and just suffered uh, had some real mental issues and and just uh, turned on Chris Kyle so it's so sad and when I saw the movie on the very end I knew how I knew how the story was going to end right but I still cried my eyes out and the person I was with at the time they they had no idea they didn't know the story and uh, they saw me crying, and they were they were kind of overcome by emotion as well. Uh, Chris Kyle, his uh, his uh, memorial service was actually at Cowboy Stadium in Arlington, Texas. Uh, there have been many great warriors from Texas, great um, soldiers, great uh, just patriots from the state of Texas, right? And uh, Chris Kyle was among the the best to ever come from Texas. Uh, one of the the best people, one of the best soldiers, one of the just uh, amazing people that that uh, I am truly honored to talk about today, and I encourage all of you to go in and read more about Chris Kyle, uh, his legacy, and uh, all the great things he did. Whether it be you know searching it on uh, the internet or watching uh, the movie or even uh, taking the time to to read the book, I think uh, it will definitely be uplifting to you as his story has been to me. So, Chris Kyle. Uh, rest in peace. Cheers to you, sir. It's an honor to talk about you and just thank you so much for your service and uh, for, for giving of your life. Even though it wasn't on a battlefield, it was there uh, to help somebody else. And unfortunately, that person needed uh, more help than, uh, than than was probably available to them at the time. And uh, you will be missed. Thank you for your service. If it were at all possible, if it were at all possible, Mr. Chris Kyle, you are someone we would love to sit down and have a beer with, sir. And you can be assured 100% that we would not only be buying the first round, but all the rounds. So thank you again, uh, sir, for your service and all you've done for this country. Uh, Chris Kyle's widow, Taya, uh, continues to uh, speak for him and, and all veterans. She actually is a co-author of, uh, of a book herself. It's called American Wife. A memoir of love, service, faith, and renewal about the time with her and her husband. Um, I know she continues to fight for for veterans and speak out uh, against uh, some of the things that have been said about her husband. So again, I don't want to go into all that stuff. That is more... Uh, hey, that's <laughs> that's not what this segment is for, to go into people's personal lives and talk about uh, some of their... Uh, some of the things that are you know, on the other side of, of honoring someone. No, we, we want to, we don't want to look at negativity. We want to look at the positive side of some of these people we talk about on 
uh, our Friday segment, Suds with Studs. So we will uh, have someone else for you to talk about next week. I hope I didn't uh, bore you too much today talking about the American sniper, Chris Kyle. But yes, I encourage you guys, even if you have uh, heard of Chris Kyle and seen the movie or read up on Go back and look at some more about him because I think it's truly inspiring stuff and stuff that we want to continue to put out here on Fridays with our weekly segment, Suds with Studs. Okay, joining us today on the program is a special guest from Detroit, Michigan. He is actually Dr. John Collins. He was in my brother's class at Rio Hondo Prep, class of 2006, on the first Rio Hondo Prep CIF football championship team in 2005. He is uh, currently finishing up his, uh, we'll say, process in becoming a, an emergency room doctor. I'll let him explain it all. I think he'll be uh, able to do that a lot better than I will. But it is an absolute privilege to have on the program today, Dr. John Collins. Johnny, welcome to the program. Thanks, Matt. It's really great to be talking to you, and it's been way too long. It has been very long, very, very long. I don't even want to try to think about when the, the last time was that we talked. Because, uh, yeah, yeah, it's been more hair, that's for sure. <laughs> I don't have much. I've taken the hair from my head. I put it on my face. That's kind of what I decided to do. You pull it off well. <laughs> well, John, what's funny about catching up with people is this, the second you start talking with them, even though it's been a long time, it's just like uh, you picked up right where you left off. I can honestly say that about you. You're still the same John Collins I knew years ago, but uh, now you got uh, a nice little prefix to your name in uh, Dr. John Collins. A very expensive prefix. <laughs> we've been paying for it for a long time oh man well uh god bless you and everyone in the medical industry we got a lot to talk about we will obviously talk about your current profession and finishing up with the process and everything maybe some of the schooling you've gone through i think some people will be interested in uh your perspective on what it's been like these past few months for all of us a lot of people have really looked for answers over these past few months because uh, so much has changed. So we're looking forward to hearing what you have to say uh, regarding some of the uh, some of the policies, some of the uh, situations regarding COVID-19 and everything. But uh, John, tell me right now, you're in Detroit, Michigan. Uh, how did you end up there? Uh, you, you're, you're a California kid at heart. Um, how did, where, I know you've traveled all over, but what is, uh, how did you end up in uh, Detroit? So I'm here in Detroit completing my medical training. Uh, it's a long, tedious process to become a doctor. And um, <clears throat> so I'm in Detroit because my uh, emergency medicine training can only occur at certain hospitals. Um, they have to be teaching hospitals, like some in the LA area would be UCLA, USC, Loma Linda, some of the bigger uh, medical centers that have all the specialties available. Um, <clears throat> this particular hospital out here in Detroit has a uh, program that trains emergency room doctors. Uh, once you finish medical school, unfortunately, you're not done with your, <laughs> your training yet. Um, you have to complete what's called a residency, which is specialized training. Uh, it's geared solely towards the kind of doctor you're going to be. So 
the training I'm getting right now isn't the same training a surgeon or a pediatrician would be getting. Um, <clears throat> you kind of have four years of medical school to sort out what kind of doctor you want to be. I decided I wanted to do emergency medicine. Um, it's kind of like being the quarterback. Uh, you know, I, the ball's kind of in my hands every day and I decide which uh, other specialists I want to involve. Um, and I ultimately decide where the patient goes, if they need to go in the hospital, if they can go home, if they go to the ICU. Um, so yeah, I chose emergency medicine. Uh, it to be a three-year training program. The training programs vary depending on what specialty you go into. If I wanted to do something like neurosurgery, I don't know who would want to do that, but if you do, you have to do seven years of additional training after medical school. Um, this is on top of like undergraduate and possibly graduate education. So you're in like maybe 20 years of education um, to be to be that kind of doctor. But I chose emergency medicine. It's three years. I'm here in Detroit because it's where the action's at. Um, I interviewed at a lot of different places. Ultimately, I had to make a list. It's a kind of a fascinating process. You make a list of the places you want to go, um, like one through five or 10, however many you interview at. And then everybody who graduates med school does that. They make a list and we put it into a computer system. And on March 15th, every year, it's called match day. The computer processes all the requests and spits out where you go. And you don't have a choice. You go wherever the computer says. So I actually put Detroit as my number one spot, and I was fortunate enough to get my number one spot. And so that's why I'm in Detroit. So, so John, you mentioned uh, that's kind of where the action is. I mean, it, it, it's interesting because at, you, you definitely want to see things because you are, you're still technically training. And really, so it's an interesting concept that you want to go where – you said the action is because there's a lot of different things I, I think you see. And I mean, let's be honest, Detroit's kind of known for being, I don't know, a rather violent city. Uh, there's all kinds of things that happen in a city like that. Uh, Chicago, LA, I mean, New York, the, all those big cities, Baltimore, there's kind of, uh, you get a lot of repetition, I'm sure, in some of the things you've seen. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> this is not an easy training program that I'm in, but it's one that I think is going to prepare me when I'm done in three years and I'm working my first shift by myself. I'm not going to be in the corner rocking back and forth in the fetal position because I'm terrified. Um, you know, I'll be able to function on my own. And, you know, if I want to someday work at a place like Methodist Hospital in Arcadia and only treat a bunch of old rich white guys with chest pain, like it'll probably seem easy because in Detroit, I get a lot more than old, rich, white guys with chest pain. I get anything you can think of. Um, so, yeah, I'm happy with where I'm at. So, John, I got to ask you, I mean, I'm sure you see some pretty rough things. And going to work for a lot of people is just, hey, let's go show up and, and try to go through the motions. But in doing what you're doing, you really can't do that. I mean, you, you got to kind of expect the unexpected. How do you keep the mindset of seeing some pretty rough things in an emergency room uh, that how do you keep your mind clear and just not focus too much on some of the things you see? It's almost like um, a combat medic type of thing. Like how do you, uh, you got to focus on it, but then you got to also move on from it. Some of the things you see, how do you, how does that not overwhelm you? I think to be honest, sometimes it does. It does overwhelm. Um, 
It's a good question because it's, it's something I think is very personal to each person. Everybody copes with things differently. Um, you know, for me, I've had some pretty rough shifts. Uh, you know, I think what some people don't realize in the emergency room is, uh, you know, I see everything. So like, for example, I just yesterday I was working and my shift, I had a cardiac arrest come in, in the middle of my shift. I was in the middle of seeing a patient with like, I don't know, asthma or something. And then overhead, they paged me to the resuscitation bay. There was a patient coming in with car a cardiac arrest. CPR was in progress. So I go over there. We try and resuscitate the patient for about 20 minutes. He doesn't survive. Uh, I call time of death. And then I have to go back to my desk. And there in the, the rack are like two more patients that need to be seen. You know, one has cold and the other has chest pain. You know, they have no idea that I just came from a resuscitation trying to save someone's life. They're kind of upset that they've been waiting. Um, you know, and it's almost like you love baseball. It's almost like that whole next pitch thing. You know, I have to just take a step out of the box, take a minute, catch my breath. And it's like, okay, you got to move on now. A lot of times I don't have time to process what's happening on a shift. Uh, for me, it's the drive home. Mm -hmm. I, I won't typically play any music I'll just be silent in the car and I try and just go through each patient I saw that day um, and just unpack it and think of the things that I could have done better. Um, think of the problems that occurred. Um, think of the things I did well. It's, it's a lot like a sport, to be honest. Um, and it's one of the reasons why I like emergency medicine. You know, I never really know what I'm going to see at work. Um, and there's a lot of uh, just being in the right mindset. You know, I have to be mentally in the right place. I have to be in the zone uh, at work. I have to turn it on uh, when I need to, you know, and I think growing up in an environment where sports was just such a big deal and then not having that um, going into this field is almost like a continuation of sports for me. Mm -hmm. there, there's no off days. There's no real slow days. I, I got to imagine in the in the emergency room. And John, you just touched, talked about, you know, having to go through and see death. And, and I remember uh, when my mom passed away, it was obviously really hard, but I remember the doctor coming over and talking to us and uh, whole family were in tears. And I remember the doctor telling us what was happening that, you know, that, you know, what had happened basically. And I remember being sad and listening to the guy, not really wanting to listen to him, but something, something in the back of my mind went off. And I realized in looking into his eyes, I said, this man has to do this almost, maybe not every day, but a lot. And I remember being, you know how, whenever somebody loses someone, you're looking for somebody to blame. And unfortunately, I think doctors kind of get that look from people because there, yeah. there's no there's no one else to look at or to, so anyway, I just remember that's something I will never forget is looking in the doctor's eyes and over time being like, you know what, this man has to do this multiple times a month, multiple times a week. Uh, yeah. He's probably done it multiple times in a day before, and it cannot be easy for him uh, and for guys like yourself. So that's kind of why I want to, I wanted to kind of get your take on, on that whole scenario, because you need, you need a place to, to decompress. You need a place to 
really let out what you saw, but I loved your analogy, you know, uh, next pitch, because you, you just lost someone, which is a terrible thing. And then having to move on to the next person, I just can't imagine what the mindset is like there in that situation. Especially if you feel like you messed something up or like you look back and in hindsight, you think you could have done something better. Um, or if it's just a rough, a rough code, like if it's a child or something like where you felt like it just wasn't time for this, mm -hmm. you know, something just didn't feel right about it. I think those are especially hard. Um, and yeah, no, like when I talk to a, a family after something like that, I realize that the words that I'm saying, they're going to remember forever. And they're going to remember how I said those words. Um, and just, I don't, you know, it's, it's, it's a heavy burden to carry. Because of some of these things, John, has there been a moment or maybe a couple of moments, it doesn't have to be specific, that you saw some things or experienced some moments in the hospital where you're like, you know what, I don't know if I can keep doing this. Yeah. Yeah, there actually have been some of those times. Um, fortunately, the feeling doesn't last because there's also a lot of good experiences that tend to outweigh the bad. Mm -hmm. um, during when Detroit was getting hit really hard by COVID, um, you know, it wasn't uncommon for two or three of my patients to die each shift. Uh, they actually, <laughs> they actually had to. Um, have psychiatrists come and offer their services to us just because of the kind of stuff we were experiencing every day. Um, that was really hard, but I think, I, I think that I still feel like the job that I'm doing is the best, coolest job in the world. Um, I haven't been weighed down by all those negative um, moments. I, I came into this knowing that that's part of it. Um, you know, and I think I just love the challenge of it, to be honest. And I think that's also something that helps me get through it. it, it every time something goes wrong and that I can look at and reflect on and try and get better. Um, and the challenge to get better makes work fun, I would say. Well, amen to that, man. I've never really had a conversation with doctors, especially in the uh, ER atmosphere, but it sounds like uh, you got a great head on your shoulders, the right approach to all this stuff, because it's not easy if, you know, there's, there's people that like anything are critical, I'm sure. But when it comes down to it, uh, there's only a few people willing to do it, willing to step out and do it and, uh, you know, attempt to embrace the challenge, like you said. So, uh, man, nothing but uh, respect for you and your peers, man. Uh, John, tell me a little bit more about what, what COVID has been like these these past, uh, whatever it's been, four or five months now. I mean, we've all been quarantined at home. We've all been, a lot of us unemployed. I mean, has your workloads increased significantly? Uh, do you guys have a, a decent handle on what's going on? Was it different early than it is now? Just kind of sum it up for me what this whole experience has been like the past few months. Oh, man. Um, that's a big question. So... <laughs> For Detroit, COVID hit really hard in March. Um, our ICUs quickly filled up. Um, we had big problems in Detroit in March. 
now COVID is still present, but it's nowhere near what it was before. Um, we're just not seeing as many cases right now. Uh, interestingly, it's made the emergency department more quiet and more empty than normal because people are afraid of going to hospitals because they don't want to be around other people with COVID. So things have actually slowed down right now. Things are slower in Detroit than like on an average summer day. And I think it's, it's because of COVID and people's fear of COVID, but our initial surge of COVID was, uh, was horrendous is the worst thing that a lot of older doctors near retirement said they've never, ever seen anything like it. We are completely overwhelmed. Um, but yeah, we're not, we're not in that stage anymore, thankfully. Yeah, it seems like over the past month or so that maybe it's still spreading, you know, at a significant pace, but it seems like the death tolls or death rate, I should say, are, are lower. And I mean, what would you, how, how would you explain that as far as early on, as, as far as the death rate, was it just, there was, it was something people hadn't seen before. Um, whereas now a few months into it, it's a little bit different. I mean, what would you say were some of the reasons that it's been, I don't know, I don't know how else to say it, a, a better success rate versus early on. Yeah. So I'll preface my answer with, I am a doctor, but I'm not a scientist or a epidemiologist. I'm not an expert. This is just my own little anecdotal experiences and opinions. Um, I think that the initial surge was because this is a you'll hear people say it's a novel coronavirus. It just means that it's new. Like no one's immune system has seen a virus quite like it before. So no one has any immunity built up against it. For example, uh, the flu comes around every year. You have to get a flu shot every year because the flu virus changes a little bit every year. It mutates and there's different strains of the same flu virus that come every year. But the coronavirus was something that we hadn't seen last winter or before that. Um, our immune systems haven't built up antibodies against the, that particular virus. So I think the initial surge was just a bunch of people that had never seen it and their bodies had never seen it, their immune system never seen it. So they all got this virus. And then, you know, why it was more severe for some people and others not so much, I don't really know. I know that it really affected older people with pre-existing conditions, especially respiratory issues, because it, um, you know, it's primarily a respiratory disease. Um, so yeah, that, that's my thought of why it was so big at first and then why it's not so much now. I think it's probably a combination of just our own immunity. A lot of people have been exposed to it without even realizing it and their bodies have built up immunity to it. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of the measures we're putting in place are hopefully helping. Um, I know this is very controversial and <laughs> is extremely frustrating to so many people. And I, you know, I'm, I'm one of them. I'm so, so frustrated by this virus. I wish it would just go away. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of us are John and you know, you're someone who's, who's has to see it firsthand and what it does to people. Uh, the one thing I've been encouraged about is just that, the people who get it, you know, hey, it's it's not a it's not a death sentence. I know some people have got it, 
And like you said, the elderly, the people with pre-existing conditions, I, I know that, hey, that's, a, that's, that's kind of what the flu does also for people. Uh, that's why people who are older, and, and again, I am, I'm not a scientist either, nor am I a doctor like you are, but uh, it's just from a civilian standpoint. It seems yeah. uh, there is a virus, there's something spreading, um, but, and some people have died from it. Uh, but I've been encouraged. I think early on, it was this doomsday. Uh, you know, everyone thought, oh, man, the world's ending. And right. it's, it's been okay. Most people that get it yeah. uh, are okay over time. Yeah. Yeah, I have, a, I have a beef with the media about they uh, love to project the case number and how many more cases are occurring. And they show you, like, the graph and... Um, you know, oh, we're getting a spike in cases, but meanwhile, the death rate or the amount of deaths every day, at least here in Michigan, has remained pretty low. Um, but the one thing that I wish the media would um, make more clear to people is the reason why we are isolating in the first place, which is not only keep the death rate down, but is to keep the ICU bed availability up. You know, once the ICUs fill up with people with COVID, that's when we've got a problem. Because then when other people who are sick without COVID need critical care, they're not going to be able to get it. But no one ever talks about that. It's just, you know, oh, we're seeing a spike in cases. You know, if the spike in cases means a spike in, in death rate or in overall deaths, and if the spike in cases means uh, decreased availability of ICU beds, which it does right now in some parts of the country, um, you know, I think that's, that's really important. And it's something that I think people would understand, hey, you know, I do need to take certain precautions. But if you're just saying, oh, there's a bunch of cases and a bunch of people have the sniffles and nothing's really happening. I don't think it seems real to anyone or worthwhile to anyone to sacrifice their business or their livelihood. So I don't know, I think it's a tough data point to obtain the, the ICU bed availability, but it's an important one. I think it's an outstanding point, and uh, I don't think you you had you've had to listen to some of these podcasts to know my opinions of the media. Uh, I, I'm right there with you. I mean, some of the things that the media does and portrays, and the agenda they push is downright evil. I mean, it's absolute evil and creating um, more chaos than uh, there is over this virus. And you know, as, as someone who has, as I'm sure most people have, not me personally. Uh, had needed the care, but I've been to ICU for loved ones and such like ICUs are generally crowded, I, I think. And then when, when there's, so they're usually at near capacity and then you throw in this virus. Now you're taken away, like you said, from people that really do need it as well as the people who are in the virus. So it's a real touchy subject. I think yeah. you bring up some really good points there, John. Yeah, and the other the other side of it, just in case people don't know, is um, you know for those people who are well, for a couple of people, one for the people that aren't really experiencing COVID and they're just seeing it in the news and they don't know anybody with it, and it's kind of just this this thing that's a really big inconvenience. Um, for those people, I think um, one thing we're starting to see with COVID is it causes people to have blood clots. It's something that we're scrambling to get uh, to do research on and to publish, but I've personally seen it um, 
in some patients that have died. And these are the ones that they talk about where people that are young and healthy die from COVID. I, I have a feeling when the research is done and comes out, a lot of those people are, aren't going to have died from respiratory failure, from pneumonia, from COVID. I think it's going to be because of um, like blood clots, especially blood clots in the lungs called pulmonary embolism. Hmm. Uh, we don't know why, but COVID for some reason is causing people clots. Not a lot, but I think that's the thing that's wiping out these young, healthy people that the media is saying, you know, hey, COVID does affect young, healthy people. I think that's the, that's what's going on and that's what's driving that number. The other thing about COVID that's not good, it seems to be kind of rare, but um, we're seeing this, they, they've changed the name of it probably five or six times. I don't even know what it's called now, but it's this post-COVID inflammatory syndrome in kids. Uh, it causes their heart to get inflamed and it's, you don't need to be a doctor to understand that's bad news. You don't want your heart to be inflamed or anything to go wrong with your heart. Um, so they're seeing, that's a weird thing, but they're seeing that in some kids that have recovered from COVID. Um, they, you know, a few weeks or a few months later, they'll get this like weird heart condition. Both of those things are rare um, so far at least, but you know, for people arguing the other side of it, that COVID's very, very, um, you know, serious, we need to all quarantine until there's a vaccine. You know, that's, that's one of the real downsides of COVID, I would say. Well, you know, we brought up the flu and, and we see the flu every year. We don't we haven't seen this. That's what you kind of mentioned. Uh, you know, there, there, there really hasn't to my knowledge, at least any time in recent history where things have been shut down like this, shutting down uh, pretty much the whole country. Uh, yeah. I mean, Maybe World War II, I don't know. I don't, yeah, it's hard to say, man. But like, I, I just, it seems like such an extreme uh, thing to do for, for me. I mean, I, I know that there's some danger out there, but I mean, we live in danger every day in everything right. we do. So right. uh, you talked about kids, John, and I know that early on kind of the conversation was that kids aren't really getting this thing or whatever. And I know as we approach kind of the school year, that there's a big debate right now about kids going back to school, whether it's safe or not. Um, and, and I know some kids have got it, but again, the word you use is rare. Um, and, and I think what a lot of times the media does is they take rare scenarios and run with it. Not that one necessarily specifically, but I'm just saying that's kind of my outlook as a, again, yeah. a civilian. <clears throat> I mean, what, what are your thoughts on kids potentially going back to school here uh, in the fall. So here are my humble thoughts about that. I think kids will be fine. I think overall, like far and away, kids are going to be perfectly fine. I think the problem with kids going back to school is if they get COVID and they're asymptomatic and they go home and spread it to their parents or grandparents, that's the problem. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's a real serious health danger for kids going back to school for the kids. I think it's more about controlling the spread. I don't know what the right answer is, to be honest with you, about whether schools should open or not. Mm -hmm. I don't feel qualified to answer that question. I, I do have my opinion, and I think that the seriousness of starting up school 
is because of who the kids can spread it to. And I think a lot of times that gets lost and people argue very passionately that, you know, the, the effects on kids have been proven to be minimal, yada, yada. We know that, you know, but I think like the, the thing people need to keep in mind is kids are going to spread it to grandma and grandpa. And then, and you know, how do we stop that? So I don't know. I don't know. I'm so sorry. I just got a call. But yeah, <laughs> I, I, I really don't know. Well, and, and, and what are your thoughts on this? Okay, I understand grandma, grandpa, or people who have some conditions. Uh, isn't there a way to, I don't know, not be around? Uh, if kids go to school, just say, hey, you need to probably not see your grandparents right now. Because yeah. I have relatives, uh, I have friends who their grand, you know, older people, grandparents, they're not seeing their kids right now, even though we're quarantined. So what would be the difference then if those kids went to school and just stay, again, stay, kept their distance from grandma and grandpa, much like they're doing right now during the quarantine anyway? Yeah, I mean, that's a, I think that's a valid point. I think it's a valid point. You know, I well, think, uh, yeah, no, I think there's just, there's two sides to this argument, you know, and I think, uh, I think it's ultimately just going to come down to your own personal preference. And um, I think it's a totally reasonable approach to say, you know, Hey, if you have pre-existing conditions, if you're elderly, you need to, you understand the risks of this virus. You need to self quarantine. You can't see your grandkids. You can't see your kids, you know, and this is like, this is the cost to society to keep our economy going. Mm -hmm. I think that's a totally valid way to go with this too. Um, you know, I think you have people that say there's absolutely no way I could ever make that sacrifice. How could I not see my grandkids for what a year? How long are you going to make me wait until we have the vaccine? Um, you know, I think there's just there's arguments on both sides that are valid. Yeah, it's it's true. I mean, um, you, you hope that some are more valid than others. And it just, it's, <laughs> it's amazing how emotional this whole situation has become. I ne I've never known a, a virus to, to discriminate politically. Uh, a virus doesn't know <laughs> who you vote for. A virus doesn't know how much money you make, where your background is. It's like saying, oh, wait, what, you voted on what policy? Okay, I'm going to infect you. Like viruses don't do that. So how all these people have made this into this big political issue is just baffled me to no end. And, and I'm kind of like, all we can do is compare it to some of the things that you know, we experienced like, yeah, during flu season, do, do, do kids go hug grandma and grandpa uh, knowing that, uh, you know, they can't get the flu either. So again, speaking as a civilian and you're giving your humble opinion as well, but these are just some of the things I've seen that I'm, I have no hair left, but I've pulled my hair out the past few months <laughs> over just the inconsistencies. Yeah. Well, I think we've never gone through something like this before. There's, uh -huh. I think there's going to be, I think history is going to be pretty harsh on on the decisions we've all made when we look back and have all the data in hand. I think we'll look back and see a million things we could have done better. And hopefully we learn from it. Because yeah, I mean, you look at each state, each state's handling it their own way. Um, there's not much organization to it. We just frankly are kind of out of our element, I think. No one saw it coming. No one was ready. No one really knows what to do. Well, let me ask you a very serious question, John. Um, how long has it been since you've had an in-and-out double-double? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> it, has been, it has been over a year. I think it has been 13 
14 months now. Oh, because I was last in California in May of last year. The good news is I'm going home in a couple weeks. So I'm so excited. Yeah, I'll be home for one week. In and out is on my list. Believe it or not, I need to get El Pollo Loco. Um, I don't know. I just, I just got to have some El Pollo Loco. There's just not, I know it's not even like the most legit Mexican food, but I just, I just need some El Pollo Loco. We don't have good Mexican food out here. Um, I really want to eat at the Habit. I love the Habit and I just haven't found a burger place like that here. Um, yeah, thanks, Matt. Now I'm super hungry. Oh, man. It sounds like you've been thinking about it a long time. Oh, now. I have my route planned. Yeah, I'm hitting oh. in and out on the way back from LAX, and then <laughs> El Pollo Loco's the next day. And then I'm going to be in a great mood. It's Outstanding. Be- Absolutely. I'll fill you up for, for a year or so. That's good, yeah. man. Well, <laughs> well, John, I'm sure we'll... Question. <laughs> Sorry, just come up because I'm a little hungry myself now. But anyway, uh, John, what, what were some of your other stops along the way? As far as, uh, as far as medical school, I know you got your bachelor's at Cal Poly Pomona, but after that kind of, um, did you know in college that you wanted to be a doctor or kind of what was the route you took or was this this great awakening? Tell me about it. I took a long meandering route to medicine. Unfortunately, it's something that people are groomed for. It's a tough, tough field to get into. Um, I'm, I'm not a 4.0 student. Um, you know, I work hard but I'm, I've never been the smartest person. Uh, I have to study a long time to remember stuff. Um, so it was very, it was a big challenge for me to kind of get into medical school. And also I decided towards the end of my undergrad career, um, that I wanted to, well, actually that's not true. I it felt like the end. I decided two years into my undergrad career that I wanted to be a doctor and that was already way behind. Um, so yeah, I decided that I wanted to be a doctor. I kind of changed around all the courses I took. I had to take all these really hard science courses. Um, it took me a while of grinding to get through undergrad. I had a pretty decent GPA, but, um, it just wasn't quite good enough to get into med school in SoCal, which is like really, really competitive. Um, so I ended up going to get a master's degree, which isn't uncommon. People will go on to get a master's degree before med school. So I did that and I ended up going to Georgetown in DC. I've never felt more out of place in my entire life being at Georgetown. Uh, you know, most kids were like, I've, I would be sitting in class in lecture and we're coming up on the weekend and the kids behind me are talking about, you know, which country club they're going to or, you know, which, where their cruise is going for that weekend. And I'm like, you know, I'm going home and reheating my pasta for the fifth night in a row. I just did not, <laughs> I just did not fit in with the people at Georgetown at all. I was there for a year. I grinded it out and got it done. Um, and then I got accepted to medical school, uh, to a, a unique medical school, which put me in Australia for two years and then in New Orleans for the second year, second two years. Cause new, um, I'm sorry, because medical school is four years long. So that was a really cool experience. Um, so yeah, it's been a grind. I lived in LA. I lived in Washington, DC. Then I moved to Brisbane, Australia. And then I moved to New Orleans, Louisiana. And now I live in Detroit, Michigan. So wait I'm a just minute. about done with moving. Yeah, uh, it's a lot of moves. So wait a minute. 
of all the places you said you were out of place in Washington, D.C., but <laughs> Australia was no big deal? Like, no, what? man, no. <laughs> uh, the Aussies are so easygoing. It, I, it was not hard to live in Australia. It felt very much like the U.S. Not a lot of differences, except every day I was told how I had an accent, which is kind of weird. I had an American accent. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think the serving sizes of everything are smaller in Australia and everything in general is just smaller. If you've ever been to Europe, it's kind of the same thing. Things are just smaller. Everything in America is pretty big, but otherwise, I don't know, man, it wasn't hard to live in Australia at all. Interesting. So, well, well, John, I know you, you were kind of, I'm trying to remember back now, were you a UCLA or SC sports fan? I mean, I had, I think I chose UCLA, but I've never been a super diehard sports fan. No, not so much. Okay. I was wondering. No, sorry. If you... I managed to find myself onto this uh, podcast. So <laughs> I don't, know. About I don't know if we have anything we can talk about now. No, no. I was going to, I was going to ask you about Georgetown. Cause I know it's a pretty, uh, well, we know it's a very prestigious university, but uh, you know, very passionate basketball college uh, for yeah. sure. So I was just wondering now, since you have a piece of paper from there now, one that says <laughs> masters on it, if, if uh, for any reason you, you know, we're more of a Hoyas basketball fan now. I, I will cheer for Georgetown during basketball season, but I'll still pick UCLA over Georgetown. Yeah. Nice. Just because, you know, they're just a bunch of spoiled brats over at Georgetown. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't want them to do too well. How did, how did you wind up at Georgetown? You may have said it already. I'm sorry if I no, if I didn't. I skipped they, that. Okay, they had a um, a special one year master's program uh, for people interested in going to medical school, versus me doing a traditional two or three or four year science master's degree program somewhere else, requiring a research project and like a publication formal this and that. I was able to just grind it out at Georgetown for a year and then move on. So, John, you did talk about kind of being a long process and maybe not being uh, the best student. You, you, you uh, maybe some of your peers are, but you're a very hard worker. Uh, and, and I can honestly say getting as far as you've gone, uh, you're obviously doing something right. Uh, but what, what was the moment where you just were like, you know what, I want to be a doctor. I want to go do all this medical school, school stuff. I want to spend all this money. Like, what was that experience like? Um. I actually decided I want to be a doctor when I was visiting uh, Casey's uncle, Doug Walsh, who was working as a missionary in Kenya. Um, he's a family practice doctor. And I went and stayed with his family for a month. And um, Dr. Walsh stuck me in an emergency. It wasn't called an emergency room. It's called casualty, but just basically a room in this hospital in Kenya that took all the emergency patients that came in and I had no clue what I was doing. And I just went and basically hung out there for a whole month. Um, and I noticed for the first time in my life, I actually was excited to go and do something that was considered work. Um, I was getting excited in the morning when I woke up to go back to the hospital. Um, it was actually one time a patient came in and they had been hit by a car and there's not much you can do for somebody in rural Kenya who's got multiple fractures and all sorts of problems that need advanced imaging and surgery. 
Um, basically all you can give them IV fluids and pray. Um, and we needed something. I think we needed something to start an IV and we didn't have it. And the patient was about to, about to die. And the doctor that was there looked at me and was like, I don't know what he said to grab, but I knew what he was talking about. He said, you to grab this. And I was running through the hospital, kind of just pushing people out of the way, trying to get this thing. And I thought to myself, this is the coolest thing I've ever done in my whole life. Like, this is something I want to do. This is just so awesome. And so that was it. When I came back from Kenya, I changed everything. I changed, I think I was going to do like teaching or math or something. And I just swapped majors. I went straight for med school after that. So, so it was, it was like um, the adrenaline, I guess, that really yeah. kind of. Yeah. And I, I do think that I just always missed something once sports was done. Like I was never going to play anything professionally or pursue any, any professional sports. And I, I always missed that the adrenaline and the high pressure situations and uh, the uh, just trying to perform at a high level, high stakes situation. Mm -hmm. And I think emergency medicine, emergency medicine presents me with situations like that. And I think it kind of filled this void that I didn't realize I had um, because I wasn't going to play sports anymore. I was, I messed up my knee shortly after, um, after high school and I wasn't going to play sports seriously probably ever again. So Mm -hmm. it was just nice having that adrenaline rush. Um, Yeah. I've never, I've never heard it explained that way, really, that uh, the adrenaline, the pressure, the challenge, that that is really uh, what a doctor, you know, has inside them uh, to, to do the job. Uh, generally, you hear, oh, you want to help people, you want to, you know, study medicine and this and that, but, but that's a whole nother approach. And so, John, had you not played sports as a kid, do you think you would have ever had this, uh, th- th- this interest in becoming a doctor? Probably not, to be honest. Interesting. I don't think so. Interesting. Well, let's talk about you playing uh, sports as a kid, John. Uh, you and I uh, participated in the same youth program, uh, Care Youth League. A lot of our listeners know know um, what that is, uh, but some don't. And I want to always explain that to people. It's a youth sports organization year-round, uh, Christian-based, a lot of great activities. It feeds into a school that is known as Real Hondo Prep which is a small private school in Arcadia, California. Uh, and uh, it's, they're both connected. Uh, it's a special place. It's uh, hard to explain at times. But uh, anyway, John, <laughs> you started playing sports at a young age in Cary Youth League. And how did that all start? Was it a random uh, discovery? Uh, <laughs> did your parents just say, hey, you're doing this? I mean, tell me about your early start in Cary Youth League. Legend has it. This is a story that came from my dad. And he wasn't exactly known to always tell the truth, but he said that he got a flyer from someone at a grocery store that it was a care flyer. They were trying to build up numbers for people in care youth league, I guess. And I don't know who he handed him the flyer, but it was just a flyer saying, you know, call this number, get more information about youth sports. And I guess my dad walked home or came home and just put it on the counter in front of my mom and said, he's doing this. And he, I think he called the number. I don't know what happened from that point on, but that's the story he told me. It was some flyer he got at a grocery store. And how old were you when you started? 
I started as a kindergartner. I okay. think I was four. So right at the beginning. And right you, played, the beginning. Uh, you played for uh, Indian, the uh, Indian Braves. And, uh, you know, what can you tell me about your experiences, maybe some of the coaches that uh, worked with you, the leaders you had, and the impact they had on you at a very young age? I don't remember a whole lot from those earlier years. I do remember one time playing football and Steve Martin was our coach and he was the most intense, probably meanest person I'd ever been coached by. He was terrifying as a fourth grader. And I remember, I hope he doesn't listen to this podcast. I don't think he does, but uh, it was, his name was Brandon Cassidy. He was supposed to block for a, a run play in, a, in football. We were doing a sweep around the end and he was supposed to make a crucial block and he missed the block. And I'll never forget looking through my face mask at the sideline and seeing Mr. Steve Martin with his arms spread wide open, face red, veins in his neck popping out. And he was just like, I think he said something like, Brandon, you're absolutely useless. Get off the field. <laughs> like, as, a, as a fourth grader, oh man, I was just, I was terrified. But I, so that, that memory sticks with me. Oh, so that meant you didn't want to miss any blocks. Right? No way. No <laughs> way. I didn't miss a block. I, I probably held for the rest of the game. There was no way I was ever going to miss a block after that. Oh, um, wow. So yeah, not a lot of sports memories to be honest, but I, the memories I do have are of the men and leaders that coached me. Yeah. Um, he, I was coached by Bill Lee, who, I, who was on this podcast. Uh, he ended up, he was, um, he went to the military, um, was coached by Steve Martin, coached by Dave Carson Jr. Um, just some great men, great Christian men, great role models. Um, and to be honest, I just hadn't really seen or been around people quite like that before. And as a young boy, I remember thinking they were different. And I remember thinking that they truly cared about me. They loved me. Um, and it made a huge difference in my life. It made me want to be like them. It made me look forward to coming to practice. It made me want to be good at sports because I wanted to make our team better and make them proud, I guess. Um, those are the things that I remember more than the actual like sports memories. If, if you could sum up Care Youth League to maybe someone who doesn't know about the program, uh, you're someone who who is, I mean, steps away from being full-time emergency room doctor. I mean, what what could you say or speak to about Cary Youth League? Um, because basically, it goes from kindergarten to fifth grade, and you know, it really shapes um, your decisions for later on. Get, shape molds your young mind, right? So, what what could you say or speak to on just Cary Youth League in general, the program itself, uh, based off of your experiences? Um, I think it's unique because the teams aren't coached by a parent of one of the kids on the team. Mm -hmm. It's more, they're not professional coaches. They're all volunteers, but I mean, I feel like they're close to it. Um, like I think if you ask those people, they would say coaching was their career or part of their career. They took it very seriously. So I think the quality of coaching that we got was, much greater than um, in other leagues. I, I 
I'm just kind of speaking. I don't know from experience what other leagues are like, but I'd be shocked if they had coaches quite as good as um, what I grew up with. Yeah. Um, but I think so the quality of the coaches and then the fact that there's some, um, there's a longitudinal experience with the coaches. I had each coach for at least two years and it was a year round program. So you're with the same people for so, so long. Um, you have a chance to really establish relationships, which I think is so, so important and makes care youth league different. Um, and I think the Christian worldview and the, the stuff beyond sports uh, really sets care apart. I think in the end, all those people don't necessarily care about, you know, whether you have the, the most receptions or the highest batting average or, um, you know, best free throw percentage, whatever. Like, I think they cared about, you know, where are you headed with your life? Do you know that you have value? Does this kid know that, you know, they're good at something. There's something they do better than other people. Um, you know, and they would care about, you know, what's your life like when you're not here at practice? Um, do you need a ride home? You know, do you need someone to talk to? I think just as a kid that it was so unique to me, um, it made a huge impact. And I think that model still is true with care today. Um, and I think it, it makes it a special place. Yeah, I wish there were kind of more care youth leagues uh, throughout the country, not just Southern California. Yeah. Uh, but who knows? Maybe one day we'll see. Uh, I, I think everything you said there is is wonderful. I think you, you use sports and and as a tool really to to right. mold kids and bring them to God and and let them know that their future is now. I mean, that's the motto of care youth league. And you may have not known you were going to be a doctor at that age, John, but you definitely all those experiences were adding up and building towards what right. you are now. So, yeah. so right. if you could tell me now, John, about real Hondo prep, uh, you just, you went to the school, junior high, and then high school, uh, as we've, we've said, it's a very unique, very different school. Uh, you, you had a whole another uh, group of coaches there at that time. And so what can you speak to me about your, uh, your experience at real Hondo prep? I loved it. Um, I loved I loved my class. It was unique that my class had 20 people in it. I mean, I'm, I think your class probably had less or the same amount. 15. <laughs> yeah, less. Um, you know, you, you go up through junior high and high school with the same people in the same classes. Um, you play every sport with the same people. Yeah. I think, I think that was just so cool. The small town feel to everything. The sports were amazing because – everybody turned out for these high school kids games. Like we would pack a football field, pack a baseball field, basketball court with all these people. They didn't even have kids in the school anymore. And they just wanted to come. I mean, I, I feel personally, Matt, that I think Rio Hondo sports, uh, what I knew of Rio Hondo sports probably peaked when you guys were seniors. Uh, I feel like, there was no way if there was a league basketball game on a Tuesday night that anybody in the student body wasn't going to be at that game. It didn't matter if you had a test the next day or homework. It didn't matter if you couldn't get a ride. Everybody found a way to be at the games. Um, and I mean, those memories are just so great. We knew the names of the like Chadwick players. Um, we, 
we like developed special chants just to like call out other people on the other team. Um, you know, I don't know. It was just so wild. It was such a good time though. Absolutely loved it. Yeah. The, the, yeah. I think like you, you talk about the, the small town feel, there's a lot of truth to that and that, yeah, even now, I mean, in, in my early 20s and now my 30s, like, there's still an interest about, hey, how's Rio doing? How's, how's their season going? Like, you know, I might like my college teams, my pro teams, but I was never a part of those. I was a part of Rio yeah. Hondo prep, right? And, yeah, you feel ownership. Yeah, oh, definite ownership. I, you know, you wear, you, you wear the colors with pride. You wear, uh, you know, your pin, your patch, whatever it is. I mean, you're proud of where you come from. At least that's where I am. And yeah. Uh, you, you know, John, you, you guys were freshmen when I was a senior, you were in my brother's class, Sam. And right. uh, so it was really cool that Sam and I become a lot closer uh, in our adult years, but it was really cool. The fact that we were in high school at the same time together and, and you guys were, you were great. We had a great support system from the lower classmen, uh, you know, coming to our game, supporting all this and that. And then it was really cool to see you guys go as I moved on and graduated, got into college and everything, but then to watch you guys and carry on the tradition. And then, and then some will say uh, with some of the success you guys had, uh, I talked to Will Tarico about this. I don't know if you heard this, that podcast, uh, but you know, Will, Will, I, I said, Will, I don't mean any disrespect by this at all. I said, um, you and my brother's class, you, John Collins, Sam, all, all you guys, you know what, after the great successful year you guys had as juniors with an amazing senior class in football, uh, Landon Goodwell, Dan Pastor, Fred Monteblanco, Gay Press, all those guys, incredible football players. Um, you guys, there was supposed to be, it was kind of like a letdown the next year, the senior <laughs> year. It was like, okay, these guys are going to play It was hard. a rebuilding year for sure. Rebuilding yeah. year, there you go. And uh, it yeah, was yeah. like, man, okay, well, they're going to play hard. It's, you know, I hope they do well. And John, you guys had one of the best seasons I've ever seen the, uh, at any level of football. You guys, um, I hate saying the word overachieved because that implies that you guys weren't, I mean, you guys were good football players, good team. And like Will said, you don't play, you don't play football on paper. You go out there and you play. So uh, talk to me about your senior year and what makes, I, I, well, first, I guess, what makes Real Hondo Prep football so special and then kind of tie that into your junior and senior year, if you could. Okay. Yeah. So I think I kind of will just go back to what I said about just Rio sports in general is what makes uh, football so good. It's just the small town feel you have mm -hmm. like the, the stands are always packed with people. Um, everybody knows your name. It's just, it's like a Friday night lights. Everyone knows you. Everybody's cheering for you. The whole town turns out for the game. Uh, that kind of environment makes it really, really special. Um, I, I got to go back a little bit about sure. us, our success. I think having to practice with Landon Goodwell's class with AJ and Gabe and Dan Pastor and Tom and Andrew and all these guys, they were, that class was just phenomenally talented. Having to practice every sport with those guys was not only super annoying and frustrating because they were so good, but I think it made us a lot, lot better. Um, so I know those guys didn't, we didn't win our junior year. We played a ridiculously talented team in the finals. Um, I think if our two senior year teams went head to head, I don't know if we could beat 
I don't know if we could beat that class. They're just so talented. Sure. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of our success stemmed from that year and just our frustration for losing and how mad we were. Um, and the fact that people were saying it was going to be a rebuilding year, I think motivated us even more. Um, and then we also just had a good, we had a good junior class with us as well. Mm-hmm. We had some really talented guys in the class below us. Um, and we just had a lot of fun. I don't know. Yeah. It was just a good, it was a good time. It was unbelievable, man. I mean, uh, you guys were so fun to watch. Uh, you guys, I, I will say you're opportunistic offensively, you know, uh, pretty good uh, offense, but man, on defense, you guys, you guys were just stopped people. It was unbelievable. I mean, yeah, we didn't score that many points. I don't no, think you did. Like, I mean, they, they'd hit John Collins on a little play action bootleg pass or something every now yeah. and then. But the fact uh, that we even know that happened means that our offense was not <laughs> super great. <laughs> I mean, you, you won the championship game 10 to seven, which with a field goal. Yeah, this is yeah. a great score. I love that. I absolutely love that in today's age of 49, 48, uh, you know, just right. stopping people playing football making tackles, yeah. uh, discipline football. I yeah. love that stuff. So um, there is, I want to, I don't know if this is embarrassing to you or not, but uh, <laughs> as, as you guys are celebrating and we're all on the, on the field, hugging all you guys for bringing home the first 11 man football championship in 2005, uh, hugging my brother, uh, high five and all you guys just being so happy for you. Yeah. Uh, I remember you specifically. And there was a group of, seniors from the year before i don't remember who it was it was either pastor gabe aj it was it was a group of those guys um and you stepped over to them john collins and i'll never forget it and it it struck me you looked each of them in the eyes and you reached out and you're like guys this is for you and yeah i don't i don't even remember doing that to be honest yeah but i I think I mean, I still say it like you asked me about how our, our senior year went and it's like, uh, I still feel like we were that good because of those guys. Yeah. <laughs> and I think we wanted, we all wanted them to win so, so, so badly. Um, and I, you know, that following year, Gabe helped out on the, he was in the, the lift, um, <clears throat> whatever you want to call it. I think it's called a lift. The thing that goes up in the air and you, uh, yeah, the uh, like, skybox. Uh, yeah, the box. And he was kind of scouting out plays the whole year. Like those guys were super invested in our success even after they lost. So I knew even at that time, like a year later, it still hurt them. Mm-hmm. It was super painful still. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. I don't even remember doing that. I, I remember <laughs> tackling Bill Lee. Um, oh, Billy. <laughs> I, I just ran because I knocked down the final play. It was like a deep hail mary and i was able to knock it down mm-hmm. and then i just continued to sprint over to billy and then i tackled him i don't even know what i what i said but yeah i was just chaos well, well i mentioned you played with my brother you know my brother was a senior with you uh graduating class i mean uh some of the listeners on here know know sam uh, quite well so w- what are your thoughts on my brother sam i kind of what was he like <laughs> what was he like playing fo- football with i'm putting you on the spot i know hey, but hey sam if you're listening to this buddy i haven't talked to you in way too long so get my number from matt and give me a call we need to catch up for sure because i feel so bad that i'm going to be talking about you for the first time in like 10 years on a podcast and you're not even here um Sam was really good at O-line. 
Sam just did his job. He never got any credit. He was like the classic O-line guy. He just was in the trenches, and he did his job super well. No one ever noticed him, um, but he's like a huge reason why we were so good. We had a lot of guys like that. Like David Guerrero was one of them, Darren Sullivan, Alex Gatula, these guys that they were just in the trenches. Um, they did so, so well. Pete Amundsen, too. He's in our the class below. Edwin. Guys that shouldn't even be on the line, too. Sam was Sam had some weight on him at that time. But we had some guys, too, that were like, not <laughs> no business being on the line. Yeah. They're just I doing mean, the job. Sam, he probably wasn't as big as a lot of the guys we went up against. Not even close, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 crazy what a team can do when really no one cares who gets the credit. It's just right, right. guys, everyone pulling their weight, doing their job, and yeah. uh, you know what? Him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He'll be talking to Dr. John Collins here real soon. <laughs> oh man, well, that's that's good stuff, uh, John. I mean, uh, real real is just a special place. We, we say it, it with it every is. alum we talk to. But tell me about you said you hugged Bill Lee. And I let Will kind of talk about it a little bit, but yeah, I mean, what was it like being pushed and motivated and conditioned by United States Marine? Yeah. I mean, he, he obviously had a big fresh impact on you guys, fresh. right? Yeah. He was fresh out. I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's like he was still on tour when he came to our practices. He yeah. just, Oh man, it was something else. He thought of these workouts that they might as well have just been called torture. Some of the stuff he had us do. Um, he's particular. Oh, I can talk about Sam because he particularly would go at Sam. I don't know why, but him and Sam, I remember just going at, I think cause Sam had a little bit of attitude and he would talk back, but man, he would go at Sam. He would make us do these sprints where we'd run the full length of the field there and back. And he would give us all the same goal. We all had like this ridiculous time goal that maybe Will could make cause he's carrying like 120 pound frame, but you know, and like, I think I would make it. Most people would end up making it, but there's no way Sam was going to make it. And I swear Bill did that just to get on Sam's nerves. And if one person didn't make it, we'd have to do the whole thing again. It was 200 <laughs> yards every time. Yeah, I just remember, I particularly remember him and uh, Bill and Sam going at it after that drill. You know, but, you know what's uh, it was funny? Crazy. It was crazy having Bill Lee coaching us. Oh man, it, it's it's just nuts to think about it. And what was interesting is anytime I talk to my brother about coaches or mentors or whatever, I mean, Bill Lee's the first name that comes to mind. And and there's plenty others. There's yeah. probably yeah. three, four, five others that really have an impact on him. And just like yeah. all of us, but but Bill Lee, he just like Coach Lee, man, Coach Lee. Oh yeah, I think him and Sam had a special a special bond. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he pushed him hard, and he pushed all you guys hard. Yeah. And uh, I got a chance to see Bill Lee uh, last weekend, sometime ago up at Mount oh, Care, cool. just kind of visiting and great seeing him talking down memory lane and, and just uh, sharing stories. And of course, his podcast was phenomenal. I could have talked another hour with that guy. Well, I'm sure. Great I'm stuff. Sure. Yeah. Well, John, I know you're a busy man. I don't want to keep too much more of your time here. Uh, I do want to say it's been an absolute uh, blast catching up with you, talking to you, uh, you really filled us in on some good information, some good uh, opinions as well. All, all, all as well. I wish you nothing but the best, man. Uh, you got two more years, I think you said, out there in Detroit. Two more years. Oh yes. man. Well, uh, and uh, congrats to you and your wife Casey, who uh, recently had your second child. I know, right? A month or so ago. That's right. Yeah. Wow. 
Good stuff, man. We're, we're all growing up fast. Some of us more, uh, more quickly than others, I'll say. It's crazy, man. It's crazy. <laughs> I still feel like a kid. I know. Don't, I don't you feel? Don't, don't you feel young? Yeah, and then when things start hurting a little bit more, then it'll change. But yeah, what in the world? What's that about? Yeah. <laughs> Terrible. Yeah, oh my goodness. Well, well, John, any any um, any final thoughts here as we kind of wrap it up? No, man. Sam, you better call me, bro. <laughs> Got a lot to talk about. Absolutely. But, uh, it, it's it's been really good talking to you. It does feel like uh, I don't know when the last time I talked to you was. Maybe at least maybe double digit years but it feels like uh we picked up right where we left off yeah definitely and i gotta get uh me and renzo when we were in all all our in the rhla together i mean me and renzo used to tease you a little bit and joke around with you quite a bit so good times i gotta get zoe uh you know maybe all three of us can have a conversation here soon we'll see (laughs) (laughs) well john hey man seriously thanks for all you're doing thanks for your time I uh, wish you nothing but the best. God bless you and your colleagues. I think what you guys are going through right now is is incredible stuff. And I mean, man, uh, you know, you're doing a great thing in, in your passion for uh, being a doctor in the emergency room. And uh, I know you got some real challenges ahead, but uh, I know I speak for a lot of people when I say thank you uh, for doing what you're doing and for what you will be doing. So, man, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you again. Likewise, man. Thanks for having me. All righty, John. Talk to you soon, man. Thanks again, John Collins, Dr. John Collins, that is. Appreciate you taking the time to share some stories with us about your journey through med school and uh, what it's going to be like here the next few years for you in moving forward as you pursue uh, being an emergency room doctor. I uh, really appreciate you taking the time out of your day and also sharing some, you know, your thoughts and opinions on, on how today, to, how things are going today with the coronavirus and the lockdown and, and all of those things. So John, can't say it enough. All the best moving forward. My best to Casey and the family. Uh, yeah, man, nothing but the, wish you nothing but the best. Hope to talk to you real soon. Well, guys, that will wrap up today's episode and our week of shows on the Get Home Safe podcast. It's been a lot of fun, as I mentioned already. We got some interviews lined up for next week, and I do have something in the works. That's all I'm going to say. I'm going to tease it a little bit here. It's not coming out on Monday. It probably won't be Tuesday, but Thursday or Friday, I do have a special episode coming up. It was an idea I came up with uh, just on Thursday, walking around, actually. Uh, It popped into my head. I've reached out. Uh, to to a person or two to kind of run it by them and see what they thought and they thought it was a good idea so I am going to run with it and so next week I won't tell you when maybe the night before uh, I'll let you know some information but as of now there's going to be a real special show planned for next week I don't want to give you any details I want you to kind of be a mystery but I can promise you that uh, it will be something very special and uh, something I'm really excited about. I got a lot of work to do over the weekend. I can tell you that. Uh, for those of you who uh, who know, uh, I am a huge sports fan, but I got to kind of put all that aside a little bit to do a lot of work this weekend. If I can piece together this episode that uh, is upcoming next week that I'm really excited about, I won't tell you any more than that, just that it's going to take some, uh, some hard work over the weekend as I piece it together. But uh, this sports weekend, let me tell you, there's a lot going on, right? There's not only more hockey playoffs, more Major League Baseball, uh, NBA, there is uh, NASCAR, there is UFC, there is the PGA Championship if you're a golf fan. I mean, 
there is just a sports overload this weekend. Uh, it is during the week as well, but you throw in a few more events on the weekend. I mean, if you're a sports fan, there really is something for every everyone, and we really have never seen anything like this, uh, to my knowledge, where it's one month just full of options. And you know, generally October was kind of like the best month of the year because football was about a month in. The NBA and hockey were getting started, and then the Major League Baseball playoffs were going. But now we kind of it's even better, right? You get a lot of this going in August. Next month, you you add football into the mix hopefully with college and and the nfl there's just a ton of options and only so many tvs to watch right uh we have uh, our main tv a couple main tvs downstairs and we will probably wheel in a couple more uh downstairs just to have kind of a uh I don't know, a uh, sports bar look to it or, or something. We're going to have TVs everywhere and sports everywhere. So uh, and if anyone's visiting, uh, we got plenty of options. And, and man, if you want to just have your fill of sports, you definitely have that this weekend. So whatever uh, your cup of tea is, it, it's it's pretty much there for you if you're interested. So feel free to indulge, guys. Feel free to indulge. If, if you're up for watching sports and aren't turned off by some of the uh, other things going on in sports, Man, have at it. It's going to be a great weekend. Uh, guys, as always, there's plenty of ways to follow the Get Home Safe podcast. Our Twitter handle is Get Home Safe Pod. Our Facebook and Instagram page is Get Home Safe Podcast. And our email address is Get Home Safe Podcast at yahoo.com. We would love to hear from you. I say it every week, uh, every episode, but that's the best way to get in touch with us is through email. I can read any questions or comments you have over the air. Uh, there's also an option through the Anchor app if you'd like to leave a voice message, almost like a caller leaving a voice message uh, to a show. You can do that on the Anchor app or anchor.fm. Look up our podcast, Get Home Safe. Click on the green button that says messages and leave a leave a voice message, whatever you want to do. There's a one-minute limit on there, but uh, Will Tarico's done it twice now, and his message has been about 20, 30 seconds asking uh, me a question one time and then me and Bill Barnes a question another time. So we would love to hear from you guys, uh, however you want to do it, whether it be through social media, an email, a voice message, we are flexible. We'd love to hear from our listeners. You guys make this show uh, go, and we want to hear kind of the things you guys want us to talk about and, and maybe uh, some potential guests. I got some suggestions on some potential guests for the near future, so I'm really uh, excited about the month of August already. It just started, and we got a lot of things to talk about, and as sports continue, we'll continue to talk about a lot of sports topics and sports news in moving forward. So guys, thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of this show. I look forward to hearing from you guys uh, in, in any fashion, any way you do it. Uh, please reach out. We would love to hear from you. And guys, over the weekend, no matter what you're doing, whether you're out on the town or around in third base, get home safe. <laughs>